And I had to pitch to win. And my pitch was horrible, right? It just didn't go. Uh, I misspoke. Uh, I wasn't really prepared. I got nervous with all the makeup artists and the whole the whole scene. From day one, we, uh, and with we, I mean uh, Chris, my co-founder and, and myself, we, we sort of agreed that, hey, we're not into this game to build the next content platform or something which doesn't really solve the issue. We, because in our minds, there was enough content for almost everything already. So we're either really going to solve this mathematically in, in a way that's fully scalable or, or we don't, right? And we, then we just call it quits. My name is Rens Terweide. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Kimo. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today, how Rinster Weide created a way to corral internet learning into a personalized reskilling journey. All this and more on Code Story. Rinster Weide lives in Amsterdam with his three-month-old daughter, who he enjoys very much. And he considers himself quite lucky because his girlfriend does most of the work. He's an avid kite surfer, and he likes to be outdoors on the water. He started wave surfing and did it for eight years, but found it incredibly difficult. He switched to kite surfing six years ago and finds it much more enjoyable. He was a strategy consultant for 10 years, but then he hit a wall at one point and decided to move on to something new. And that new thing was AI. When he attempted to break into the space and become educated, he had to manually string together courses and content by himself. As he went through this process, he thought that this could be optimized or done in a better way. This is the creation story of Chemo. I, I lived my life before Chemo as a strategy consultant, and, and I did that for roughly 10 years. And at some point, you know, as I think most consultants have, it's time to go, it's time to do something new. And for me, that new thing was AI. Right, AI is technically uh, the big new thing. It, it's super interesting. It's intellectually challenging. It has everything. But the difficult part for me was how do you really get into that? And how do you transform yourself from a strategy consultant to someone who knows something about AI? So my path was to go online, search, ask a lot of questions to Google, then do a lot of courses. I think in the end, I probably did 40 MOOCs those massive uh, open online courses. And, and it still felt, I, I didn't really get it, right? It was pretty difficult. Uh, I didn't know if the courses were in the right order. I still had more and more questions. So doing that and traveling that journey myself, I felt, hey, this can be done in a better way. And, and that's how Chemo originated. Chemo is a company where we guide people from A to B, let's say job A to job B, maybe from an accountant to, let's say, a data scientist. We do that through all the learning content on the web. So it doesn't matter if it's on Coursera, if it's on Udemy, or if it's free content on YouTube and, and Medium. So we recognize that content, we can structure it, and we can calculate paths through it. And that's the essence of Chemo. So we can personalize uh, economically sensible learning journeys through all the content on the web. So tell me about the MVP. Tell me about how long it took you to build and what sort of tools you use to bring it to life. You know, it's a classic. We, we read all the books on, on how quick you have to be with MVP, right? Of course, uh, as a tech company, that you have to be very, very quick. And, and I think in reality, we were way too slow there. Being very cautious, 
we moved very, very slowly with just one developer and we focused on demos, not even MVPs, just demos to see if this whole reskilling challenge had any, you know, people cared enough about that challenge in the Netherlands here where I live. And with one person, of course, it took six months, right? And we had the demos and, and, and it worked out quite well. But for the first demos, it was six months of work simply because we, we didn't really leverage. We stuck with one person. From there on, we decided that it was time to go bigger. We went to five people. We built MVP 1.0 together with an external design company. That worked relatively well. And now we are at MVP 2.0, where we have the designer in-house, we have the front-end team in-house, we have the growth team in-house, and everything now starts to fly. With any MVP, right, you've got to make decisions and trade-offs. It sounds like you've gone through a couple of iterations of MVPs, so you probably got a bunch of them. So, you know, what sort of decisions and trade-offs did you have to make in the short term with your MVP, be it feature cut, technical debt, and, and how did you cope with those? In reality, I think some of the trade-offs still haven't been made, right? We, we are a company that has a million ideas and there's a lot of features in there. So what we're doing now is that technically we have 10 features and a lot of it is going to be cut for specific groups or cut for specific regions. So it's a lot of user testing now where we are technically eliminating a lot of stuff that is not useful. So I think we, we sort of did it the wrong way. We, we know a lot of things that people would like, but it's, it's quite generic. And, and we did check that with them, but in reality, it's a list of 10 things and we're now cutting things that are not relevant for specific groups. But I don't think that's best practice, uh, if I'm honest. The cool thing with Chemo is that the company has technically sort of infinite scalability promise, right? If it works in NL, then it can work in Germany, then it can work in France. And of course, the end goal here is to, uh, to do the same thing in emerging economies, because the, the software can run for cents per month. Utilizing all the free learning content on the web, that would give us, I think, an amazing platform to go, for example, to India. It's not bad that we have those features, it's, it's okay. We sort of overdid it a bit in the beginning out of enthusiasm, out of, out of love for AI and all the possibilities. And at least for the Dutch market are now sort of scaling back to the, the core product. So then you got MVP2. So how, how have you progressed the product and how are you planning to mature it? And I think, I think what, I'm, what I'm most interested in a little more details around how you're building your roadmap and deciding this is the next most important thing to build. The, the story there is that we, we built MVP 2.0 with users in the room, right? So we know what people like. We actually, uh, we, even, even though it's COVID time, we, we set up a space here where there's enough room to have uh, one and a half meters, which is the rule here in, uh, in Amsterdam, and to actually give them a laptop and actually see them try this. But that's the first phase. Those are individual users that signed up. The next phase is B2B pilots. So for a couple of Dutch banks and Dutch technology firms, we're going to pilot. Uh, these are larger groups and, and it's a B2B commitment, which means that the, you know, the, the quality has to be higher. So there we have six week pilots where we have bi-weekly calls and a feedback form in the platform to hear what they need and what they're missing. So the next round for us is B2B pilots. Uh, hopefully in six weeks, that sort of finalizes the first version of the product and then we go live. That's interesting. So how, how does the, the product differ from the B2B and the B2C space? I'm sure it differs a lot, but can you elaborate on that? Yeah, the B2B space technically has a, like a sort of a double layer product. The, the one product is almost the same as the B2C, right? That's the learning platform where you can find your individual personalized content. 
Uh, but the other side for B2B has a what we call an, an engine and that has something like God mode where you can see things like all the skills in your organization uh, mapped to salaries, uh, mapped to automation risks, right? And, and figure out which reskilling journeys actually make sense in your organization. And maybe to give a practical example, we have one company we work with. They have 13,000 people. Uh, it's a classic financial services company. And we know 3,000 people will go. They made that public already. But for the other 10,000, there's five jobs that they really care about for the future. So the big problem is how do you get those 10,000 people with 10,000 different job titles towards those five roles that really matter? Uh, and the question is, of course, who can make that journey? Who cannot make that journey? So that's the, uh, the other side. It's the, uh, the intelligence behind the system. Let's switch to team. So how did you go about building your team? And what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? For me, the team thing is, is very, very important. Uh, what I didn't mention in the beginning is that before I went into the strategy, uh, I was a sports psychologist. So I actually spent time with elite sports teams here in the Netherlands, uh, either soccer, or hockey, uh, etc. So that sort of dynamic have always has always really interested me. And, and what we do now at Chemo is we look for people that are really deep experts in their domain. And it can be very specific. It can be someone who did a PhD in, in graph neural nets, right? So it's a very specific thing. We also give them additional tests. So we actually want to see if they can deliver it in real life. So it, it's a coding test. And beyond that, and I think that is familiar to a lot of founders, that the company is, you know, it, it's hard work. Uh, people make very long days, uh, almost every day. So the next big thing I look for is the fit with the company culture, which almost means the same as grit, right? Can they actually stomach the amount of work that will need to be done? Would you say too that with that grit, there's also some sort of like hunger, some intellectual curiosity, that, that drive to push through? Yeah, 200%. Like the guys that we hire, they, they, they love the challenge so much, right? AI has, of course, a lot of different use cases, but AI in education is one of the, the more difficult domains. So they really see this as this is their main thing that they will do, their main challenge. And they're really here to solve that challenge. So it's a love for the technology, love for, for the actual coding challenge ahead of them that, uh, that brings them here. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've already built um, with Chemo, what, what are you most proud of? I think I'm most proud of the, the guts that we have shown, really the, the intention behind the company and, and how we pull through. Because on day one, we, and with we, I mean Chris, my co-founder and, and myself, we, we sort of agreed that, hey, we're not into this game to build the next content platform. Uh, or something which doesn't really solve the issue. Because in our minds, there was enough content for almost everything already. So we're either really going to solve this mathematically in, in a way that's fully scalable, or, or we don't, right? And we, then we just call it quits. And, and we stuck to that, right? Even though, of course, it's very attractive to make something simpler uh, and, and to make, start making money earlier. Uh, but since the beginning and, and that commitment has stayed the same and that's still the path that we're on. So I think that's the biggest thing that we really try to go and go big or go home. And we don't um, we don't go for anything smaller than that. 
Go big or go home. You, I, I suspect you pulled that from your sports teams, uh, uh, your sports psychology stuff too. Yeah, yeah. A bit of influence <laughs> from uh, from those old yeah, days. Yeah. yeah, that's good stuff. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. Yeah, there's there's a fun one actually that happened uh, this week. Uh, we were in the last uh, five of a big Dutch competition. It's called Blue Tulip. It's a Dutch EdTech competition, and the last a day and there was like a sort of a video set up with a film crew and, and, and makeup artists and all this uh, all these things uh, and I had to pitch to win and my pitch was horrible right it just didn't go uh, I misspoke uh, I wasn't really prepared I got nervous with all the makeup artists and the whole the whole scene so I had to go back to the team and said hey I, I think if I did the pitch well we probably would have won but I screwed up the pitch so so sorry for that and and the response there was actually quite quite funny they they really liked the fact that i i screwed it up so they would they just told me great we're going to tape it and you'll see it again and again and again and every time you give us a lot of work we'll just play the tape for you so the response was with a lot of humor but um yeah it's not something to be proud of pitching is hard it's uh it's nerve-wracking so i definitely hats off for uh for just going for it thanks thanks so what does the future look like for Chemo, the product, and your team? Well, the initial thing is that we, we built the product towards the clients that we know well, right? It, it's a bit of a safe strategy, but, but given the consulting work, there's a lot of clients that, uh, that we can work with here in the Netherlands. So that's the, that's the next couple of months. So we finalize together with them, and, and then we hope it's good enough to, to go. Uh, the long term, of course, is, is an emerging economy. Plan, right, so we hopefully move to India. India is the real ad tech market, right? It's, it's 50 plus percent growth year on year. That's the place where we want to be. It also means that we will change the pricing points. We will try to make that almost free. So maybe it's 50 euro cents per month or something in that direction. So that is the long-term plan. Uh, but short-term, it's Western Europe uh, getting everything right here, finalizing everything, and making sure it's sticky enough that it really uh, it really works well enough. And, and then we move at some point, probably to Asia. So let's switch to you, Renz. Who influences the way that you work? You know, CEO, CTO, architect, person, really, really any person. Name someone you look up to and why. The honest answer is that I don't really have a person that I could mention. What I do instead is I wake up every day at six for the last, I think, at least 10 years. And I read for two hours or so before I go to work. So, so I read a lot, and mostly that's about AI, it's about strategy, it's about geopolitics. And every week I respect other writers a lot, right? And every week I'm really thrilled by, by new insights that people uh, have given me. But it's, I don't follow a specific person. I just try to, to really be on top of stuff by, by reading more than everybody else. So it's, it's a bit more dynamic than having a single person. If, if I could find that person, I'd be eternally grateful. But for now, it's uh, different books every week. That's great. So it sounds like you're influenced by a lot of different people. Yeah, true. Well, you know, we talked about mistakes a little bit, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? I think the beginning that we we did was very rational. Like we started with one guy and, and we stuck to that for almost 10 months. And, and the, the reason behind it was very simple, right? We, we didn't know if the technology could be built. Uh, graph neural nets were very early days, so everything was, was un- un- uncertain. We, we didn't know if it could
could even be made. So for that reason, we, we decided to, to be super lean and have just one guy. But now looking back, I think that was actually too cautious. And I know it's dangerous advice. I'm not telling everybody to, uh, to scale up on day one, which, which would be the wrong advice. But we did so too slowly. And I know that now because I can see how fast this space is developing and how, how fast AI is moving. We spend the year just testing stuff, testing all the possible APIs, cloud providers. And I think looking back, currently I would hire five guys on day one and not one. Uh, if the vision is very bold, right? As I mentioned, it, it's go big or go home. Then don't start with one guy because that, that doesn't really work. Well, last question, Rint. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who has built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. They can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? I think there's three things I would say. One is that you really have to come prepared, right? And that means that you have to study a lot and, and do your homework. The reason why I say that is that you'll get a lot of advice from consultants, from friends, from family members, from venture capitalists. And, and most of the advice will not make a lot of sense in, in my experience, right? It, it, it's well-intentioned, but it's not really how things work. So that means that you have to rely on yourself and, and just have to study very hard. The second thing is that there's a lot of other entrepreneurs. And I realized that a bit too late. Quite often, it, it's really nice to make entrepreneurial friends. So for example, I have a group that I kite with and we, we travel together. Everybody in that group runs a company or has done so in the past. So that makes for perfect friendships. It creates great discussion. So I think finding people that are similar to you, that have the same risk profile, the same ambition, is really another great thing. And as a final point, and I think it has been said quite often already, uh, is that there's a lot of work. And if things go well, there will be more work. So the key thing is to take care of yourself. So for me, it's critical that I can exercise, I can surf, I can go out, because that's the other side of the equation. If you want to work hard and want to scale up something, then you also need to relax a lot and, and make sure that you can recover as well. That's fantastic advice. Well, Rins, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Chemo. Thanks, Noah. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Labhart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Say big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in store and on Menards.com. Save big.